feel like we should just have the piano play the whole time I preach. Wouldn't that be like, make it much better? I get a little jealous when I watch some of those preachers, they get to preach with an organ in the background, you know, and they make like a really good point or the scripture gets really good and the organ like picks up. And I think we might need that on the Sundays at, that I'm here at Valley, but <clears throat> that organ would take up, we'd have to get rid of the drums and the guitar. So I don't think we're going to do that. If you have been here before when I uh, have been preaching, I've been in the book of Daniel, and today we're going to be in Daniel 5. And if you have a Bible, that'd be great if you could open up to Daniel 5, because you can follow along in today's message. I've entitled today's message, A Written Warning. A Written Warning. Have you ever received a written warning? Some of you just winced when that happened. <clears throat> I've received a couple of written warnings in my life. Normally, warnings have a negative connotation, right? Um, if you've ever received a written warning at work, it's sometimes a part of, what do they call that, um, a performance improvement plan. And uh, I've been on both ends of a performance improvement plan. Uh, if you've ever received a written warning at school, it means you usually broke a rule or your grades are not quite at the level that they should be. Some of you know what that means. But warnings don't have to have a negative connotation, right? Have you ever been pulled over by a police officer and you were actually dying for just a warning? Uh, yes. <laughs> Go like this connect with the message this morning. Some of you are not being honest with yourself this morning. I remember the first time I got pulled over, no written warning. The second time I got pulled over, no written warning. The third time I got pulled over, um, I had to go to this school thing for people that don't do a good job. I was only <laughs> driving, I was only 20 years old. And I, I'll, this, this isn't in my notes, but it is kind of funny because they give you that little thing you fill out and you have to like, you know, either pay or go to court. Well, I was at college, so I couldn't go back to go to court. So I put cash in the envelope and, you know, filled out the form. And about three months later, my dad calls me. Did you like get pulled over or something? while you were home for the summer. And I'm like, maybe. He's like, well, our insurance sent me a note about that. How did you pay for that? And I'm like, well, I just put cash in an envelope and mailed it to the city. He's like, because uh, I didn't have a checking account at that point. He's like, you know, it's not a good idea to send cash in the mail. And then he says, but did you do that so you thought maybe I wouldn't find out? <laughs> I had been found out. <clears throat> but warnings can be a good thing when there's a curve in the road coming up that you didn't know about. When there is a bridge out. In 2012, <clears throat> the flood came through here 
and the road out of our neighborhood washed away. So it was like, did you have any of those like 10 feet? Like you just, you drove. It was like you just drove off the end of the earth during the flood. And uh, finally they got a sign out there. If there's a bridge out ahead. So warnings don't have to have a negative connotation. Jill and I, a few years ago, were taking a trip up I-70. <clears throat> One of the things we do when we take a trip is we put the Google Maps on so we know where we're going. I put Google Maps on because it gives you a time of like how long it's gonna take to get there and that's like a challenge, you know? It's like a video game. <laughs> like you're gonna get there at seven and I'm like, oh yeah? <laughs> I can beat that. But we do that like so we know where we're going because otherwise I just lose track of what I'm doing. And we're on I-70 heading west, we're in the mountains, I'm going 70 miles an hour and a notification comes up from Google and it says, take the next exit. Well, this is miles before we were supposed to get off and we're heading west. And it asks us to take the next exit. And it says you can save like 10 or 15 minutes if you take the next exit. I was very leery of doing that because I know it wasn't. But then I thought, you know, this is probably something we should do. <clears throat> so Jill and I get off on the exit. Now we're on a side road going 35 miles an hour. And everybody on I-70 is just flying down the road. So we're on this road about a mile or two, and you can see I-70, then you can't see I-70, and then we see I-70 and everyone is stopped, like completely stopped. So we get up to this stop sign, and all of a sudden there's just a lot more cars on the side road. And we spent like, I don't know, five or seven minutes at the stop sign to get through it. And we go like a mile, and then we go to get back on I-70. And we look over, like over my left shoulder, and you can see that something serious had happened to I-70. And it was not like the cars going around. It was completely shut down. And all of these cars were backed up behind um, the accident. No, a, no ability to get on. And it was actually really weird because, I don't know if you've had this before, where you get back on an interstate and there's no traffic. Like there's not, it's really weird like nobody coming from behind you there's nobody ahead of you and so we got on and continued <clears throat> on our journey well today we are going to read of a king who received a warning written on a wall it's actually where we get the phrase the writing is on the wall have you heard that phrase the writing is on the wall that's Daniel chapter 5 is where this phrase comes from <clears throat> and maybe you've had that like a job or a relationship or someone has said to you the writings on the wall and usually what that means is that it's clear that something bad is about to happen and uh, it's just kind of evident that that's going to be the case like I haven't lost my job yet but the writing is on the wall because they just laid off the entire department ahead of me right you've had something like that or the season is not over yet, but the writing's on the wall because we haven't won a game in like two months, right? So that's kind of the context of the phrase of the writing is on the wall. Today, we're going to learn about the prophecy that King Belshazzar gives, which is a writing on the wall. It was a declaration of what was to come. But for us, what we get to hear this morning is a written warning because while it was prophecy for him, the scripture can be a warning for us. If you remember back 
The last time I preached, we were in Daniel chapter 4. Daniel had to confront a king. That was King Nebuchadnezzar. And he was filled with pride. King Nebuchadnezzar was a very powerful king. They were one of the most powerful nations in the world. And Daniel gave him a warning that because of your pride, you are going to lose your throne. And actually, what we learn about Nebuchadnezzar is he loses his king and he wanders in the wilderness for many years and he lives actually like an animal. But Daniel gave him this hope and this warning. When you return back to God, then your throne will be restored. Seven years later, King Nebuchadnezzar actually surrenders himself to the king of heaven and gives a declaration to the whole nation that they should worship the king of heaven, and he is restored to the throne. Well, this is 30 years later. King Nebuchadnezzar has died, and Belshazzar is his son, and he is now the king of Babylon. Belshazzar follows right in his father's footsteps. Have you ever observed this before? And maybe it's happened to you. You observe maybe the faults of your parents or the faults of your previous generation, and you say something like this, well, that's never going to happen to me. It's going to be different with me. And then, sure enough, what happens is you repeat the same mistakes that you've seen in either a previous generation or your parents. And that's what happens with King Belshazzar. He is steeped in pride just like his dad was, and God is going to get his attention in today's passage. So here's what happens as introduction to what we're going to read in Daniel chapter 5. King Belshazzar throws a party, and this is like the party of all parties. He invites a thousand of his nobles to be part of this party. They have like an open bar There's drinks, there's wine, it's unlimited. They bring in women that are specifically just for the enjoyment of the guests and for the king. And what was an anything-goes party in a culture in Babylon that anything goes. And that's where we pick up in Daniel chapter 5, verse 2. And here's what we read. Under the influence of wine, Belshazzar gave orders to bring in the gold and silver vessels that his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. So that king and his nobles, wives, and concubines could drink from them. So they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, wives, and concubines drank from them. They drank the wine and praised to their gods made of gold and silver bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Do you remember way back in Daniel chapter 1, Nebuchadnezzar had invaded Jerusalem. He had taken many of the articles out of the temple, brought them back. That's actually how Daniel gets to um, be part of Babylon. He took all of these young men, brought them, brainwashed them, retrained them um, to be servants of King Nebuchadnezzar. And so this is the actual items that are back in Daniel 1 is talking about. Continue on in verse number 5. At the moment, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the king's palace wall next to the lampstand. As the king watched the hand that was writing, his face turned pale and his thoughts 
so terrified him that he soiled himself and his knees knocked together. This is a very strange thing because we don't see this another place in the scripture. But in the middle of this party, a hand, just a hand, appears and begins writing on the wall. And how did this play with the king? I like that this is the Christian standard version, the King James, the others, they, they do a nice job that he soiled himself, right? The, I think the modern English, he peed his pants would be like another way to write that. He, I mean, and he was shaking. The king was so scared. So what, what happens in Babylon he learned from his father, when you don't know what's going on, what do you do? You call in the wise men. So look at verse number 8. So all the king's wise men came in, but none could read the inscription or make its interpretation known to him. So one after another, he brings in all these wise men. They can't tell him. And the king is getting so scared. Skip down to verse number 10. It says, because of the outcry of the king and his nobles, the queen came to the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't let your thoughts terrify you or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has a spirit of the holy gods in him. And as you've learned in other passages in the Old Testament, for the queen to come in, she's got to have a lot of bravery because the king has to accept her. And she comes in to save the king. Verse number 18 continues on. And it's interesting in verse number 18, she's going to tell him about Daniel, and he doesn't seem like he knows the story of Daniel. Verse number 18, she says, Your majesty, the most high, God gave sovereignty, greatness, glory, and majesty. Oh, I skipped ahead. This is the interpretation from Daniel. This is not the queen. So this is, she brings Dan, he brings Daniel in. This is the interpretation Daniel is going to give in verse number 18. Your majesty... The Most High. That's who gave sovereignty, greatness, glory, majesty to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. Because of the greatness he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages were terrified and fearful of him. He killed anyone he wanted. He kept alive anyone he wanted. He exalted anyone he wanted. And he humbled anyone he wanted. But when his heart was exalted and his spirit came arrogant, he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven away from people. His mind was like an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like cattle and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until he acknowledged that the most high God is ruler over heaven, kingdoms, and set anyone he wants over them. But you, his successor, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all of this. What's very interesting about this, and we'll continue to read this a little bit in a second in verse 23, he says, your successor, Belshazzar, you, his successor, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. So he knew the story of what happened to his father. Verse 23, instead, 
You have exalted yourself against the Lord of the heavens. The vessels from his house were brought to you. And as you and your nobles, wives, concubines drank wine from them, you praised the God made of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or understand. But you have not glorified the God who holds your life breath in his hand and who controls the whole course of your life. Therefore, he sent the hand, and this writing was inscribed. I wonder this. I wonder if there's anyone here today, you've seen either friends, you've seen family, you've seen coworkers, who chose to live however they wanted to, and their lives started to fall apart. But what happened to you is after observing that, just like Belshazzar observed with his father, God took a back seat in your life. You went and did your own thing, and your thought was, it's going to be different with me. I'm going to be the exception, thinking a life without God will be just fine. See, Daniel is a book of prophecy, and Daniel's prophesying here what's going to happen to Belshazzar. But today, we get to read it for us, a warning on the wall for us. Just like I shared at the beginning, this is like Google beeping into your life, warning, warning, what is it like to not think of God in your life? So here's the interpretation, and this will be kind of what we'll spend the majority of the time this morning. Verse number 25 says, This is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the message. What is Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson? Well, Daniel helps him out with what these mean. And Daniel continues on. This is the interpretation of the message. Mene means that God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. So our warning this morning, number one, is your days are numbered. God says, I've numbered your days. Ponder that just for a second. What is the implications that your days are numbered? I mean, the obvious thing is you don't know how many days you have left. It could be today. It could be this week. It could be five years. It could be 50 years. Aren't you glad you came to church today, this morning, <laughs> to hear that? But as I ponder and think about it, it, I think what it means is you probably don't have as much time left as you think you do. And... That day has been decided. God has decided your final day is already set. He says it twice, mene, mene, I think to emphasize numbered, numbered, you only have a limited time left. What happens to us when you think you have a lot of something? You typically squander it. Do you have anyone in your house that thinks... Or have you ever lived with one that thinks you have a limit or an unlimited supply of hot water in your house? <laughs> you don't have to look around the room. 
but some people live like that. Uh, when they are ready to get a shower, they turn the shower on, make sure it's warmed up, go to the bathroom, do the wordle for the day, <laughs> make sure they get their towel. After about 10 minutes, the room's filled with steam. It's about time to get in the shower. They take their shower, but then there's like second shower, right? Where like, now I get to just enjoy this hot water. And about 15 minutes later, it's your turn to take a shower. And you normally put it right here and you notice nothing happens. So now you've got to put it here and then here to get hot water. I do not speak for personal experience. I've just heard those stories before. <laughs> but what happens when we have, when we think we have a little of something, when there's just a limited supply? We tend to protect it. We tend to manage it well. We tend to treat it more precious. I read from Psalm 90, verse 12, in the Psalm of Moses in the middle, teach us to number our days so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. See, wise people understand this. I only have a limited amount of time. So num warning number one, my days are numbered. The interpretation of tekel, verse number 27, tekel means that you have been weighed on the balance and found deficient. Daniel points out to the king, your days have been weighed. Your days are weighed. God is weighing your life. He's weighing how you spend to choose your life. He's weighing how you spend to choose your days. And he uses the image here of a balance, and you've seen the balance where you put weight on one side and it goes down and you bring something, uh, weight on the other to balance that's out. And here's the warning. The warning is don't get your life out of balance. See, since we think we have all the time in the world, what happens is we'll spend too much time on things that don't matter. What do you struggle with wasting on time? Is it social media? Is it your phone? Is it sports? Is it work? Is it recreation? What happened to King Belshazzar is he started just living a life of celebrating and taking credit for something that was a gift to him. I was talking a few years ago to a mom whose daughter had made the traveling softball team for a local team in the Boulder Valley area. And they, she shared how they were really excited about it um, when she made the traveling softball team because they had been working since she was a little girl to uh, play softball and be in competitive softball. <clears throat> this was, the day I was talking to her was the last tournament of the year in October. She shared to me, with me that they had spent somewhere between ten dollars and $20,000 that summer on softball. They had a tournament every week for 26 straight weekends for softball. And now they were in. She's like, I was exhausted. She's like, it was getting to the point where my daughter was not enjoying it anymore. She said they didn't go on vacation that summer. 
she was a person of faith, and she's like, we didn't get a chance to do anything with church or the youth group stuff that her daughter was a part of that summer. And it was this, like, weight that was off of her shoulders, she shared, that the season was done. Her daughter was 12 years old. Here's the thing. Most of the things that get us out of balance are not sinful things. They're not sinful in and of themselves, but we invest so much in them that our lives start to get out of balance. And here's what the warning is. The warning is live in a way that remembers God is weighing what you are doing with your time. And you know what most people will do with that image of the balance? They'll value their days and think, okay, then I need to make sure my good in one day that outweighs the things that I waste time on. Like, let's just make a list, make sure every day. But Paul explains it a little bit different in 1 Corinthians 10. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So in other words, play sports, eat good food, work hard, save for retirement, take a vacation, go to church. But in the process of all that, live it for the glory of God. So I wrote down this, share your gifts with others. Don't hoard them. So if you're going to enjoy food, take time to enjoy food with others. Meet someone for coffee, host someone for dinner, invest in other people's lives. When you work, work hard to make a difference. Work hard to be good stewards of your gifts. Work hard so you can be generous. Mm -hmm. Take time to refresh on vacation so you can invest in what is important. As I look around the room this morning, what I love about 1 Corinthians 10.31, we have people in here that are so diverse in their work and their contribution. We have people in here that take care of at-risk children. We have people in here that drive a truck to get you the things that you want on a daily need. We have people in here that contribute to the satellites that are over the sky protecting you. We have people in here that work in finance and banking that you uh, rely on every day. We have people in cybersecurity that you don't even know what they do. They can't tell you what they do. And yet this morning, you're very safe because of them. This is not a call to drop all the things in your life. This is a call in whatever you do. Do it with your whole heart to the glory of God. You've heard Matt say it many times because most of what matters for eternity will be the people in that process that you invest in along the way. There will be no satellites in heaven, right? There's no banking system in heaven. But do that for the glory of God and impact people for eternity along the way. Point number three, Perez means that your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persian. You know what happened? History tells us that evening, the Medes and the Persians invaded Babylon. They went underneath the walls and they conquered King Belshazzar, the ruling power of the world, Babylon, 
was no longer a power after that. It was done. It was finished. Perez means divided. And so I put point number three is this. Your days have an effect. See, a life not numbered becomes out of balance. And a life out of balance becomes divided. What you do with your days has an effect. And if you live a life with no thought for God, your finances will become divided. Your family will become divided. Your faith will become divided. Your peace will come divided. And there might be someone sitting here today that is on the brink of a divided life. Your marriage, your job, your friendships, your kids. And here's what God is saying. See the writing on the wall. Are you stressed? Do you find yourself getting easily angered? Do you worry about things that may or may not happen? Are you relying on a substance more than you should? Have you become spiritually numb? These are indications of writing on the wall that something is off. But the scripture always lets us know there's hope and there's good news. And I have good news for you this morning. The writing on the wall for King Belshazzar can be a warning for you to get things back in balance in life. And so I put three helps. There could be a hundred of these from the scripture. But I put three that I thought would be a help as we close this morning. Matthew 6.33 says this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. All the things you want in life, meaning, purpose, satisfaction, peace. God says, if you put me first, these things fall into place. How do you do that? So I wrote down three. The first one is, God gets the first of every day. Prioritize time with God every day. Not just what's left over. Not after you're tired out. If it fits in, I'll get to it. Both Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar had no thought for God. Do you go through a whole day without a thought for God? I would challenge you, spend time in meditation, giving thanks to God, sharing your needs to God, confessing your faults to God, time in his word. You won't accomplish anything better in your day than time spent with God. Number two, God gets the first of my money. And by money, I mean your money and your stuff. Money and possessions can control your life. And Belshazzar looked at all the stuff around him and he said this, it's all mine. It's not only all mine, I take credit for it all. If you struggle to give God the first of what you make, I think what you're saying is this, I've earned it on my own, it's mine. I can't afford to trust God by giving a portion to him. Versus what God calls you to do is say, it's a gift from God. I'm a steward of it. You know what? If I give God the first, I can trust him with everything I need. Did you hear what Daniel said in verse number 18? He said, the most high God 
gave sovereignty to your predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar. You know, Nebuchadnezzar was a great military leader. He was a powerful king. And I'm sure he felt like he deserved every part of being the king by what he had done to earn being the king. The best path to a life of significance and value is recognizing that it's all a gift from God. All my possessions are a gift. And then the third one is this. God gets the first of every decision. Who should I marry? Where should I go to school? What job should I take? Where do I go on vacation? What should I do about the person that's driving me nuts at work? (laughs) Give God the first of every decision you make. Every decision should make you think, mene, mene, tekel, parson. My days are numbered. My days are weighed. My decisions have an effect. So here's my last thought on this. Remember I read from Psalm 90 and verse 12? Psalm 90 and verse 12 told us to teach us to number our days. Ten verses before that, this is what Moses writes. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. What Moses came to realize is a life that puts God first is actually a life of freedom. To release control to God is actually a life of freedom. The term Daniel used for Nebuchadnezzar and for Belshazzar was sovereign, like they were in control. These were the most powerful kings on earth. Anything he wanted was done. And I think this is the tendency of how I like to live. I'm in control. I can make it happen. But you know what typically happens when I live like that? Parson. Things get divided. All of a sudden, there's no more peace, there's stress, there's no more joy, and things go to ruin. Because when you release control, and the Bible says that's freedom, I think we think of freedom as the right to do whatever I want. But what you will find is freedom is actually the ability to do what is right. See, without God in your daily life, and to live like Belshazzar did, what happens is you're slave to those sinful and wrong choices without Christ. You're unable to make a life that counts, unable to live without lasting purpose. But here's the great news this morning. Because of Christ's death on the cross, he has set you free from that penalty free from the penalty and the power of sin. And so how is that accomplished? It's not accomplished by getting out your deeds and putting them on a weight and seeing which one is better or how am I spending my time by making a checklist. It's actually accomplished by faith. You remember at the beginning when I said that Google sent me a message, get off here? I did something that maybe you've done with Google before too. I took my fingers and just like zoomed out a little bit. And when I zoomed out a little bit, there was this red line on I-70. 
that gave me an indication maybe Google knew what it was talking about. Now, we don't need to get in this morning how Google knows everything that's happening on those cars ahead of me. Um, but it did. And so I put faith that Google knew more than I did by zooming out a little bit. And here's the thing about faith. You're having faith that God will do what he says. And I used to think that faith is that God knows the future. But here's the thing about faith. Faith is realizing that God is already in the future. Paul said it like this, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Because that's where he lives. So, live a life that values your days. And instead of hearing this, you have been weighed on the balance and found deficient. You can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And by his stripes, you are healed. Let's pray. God, these passages are a gift because they come into our lives as reminders that days without thought for God, days that are spent in meaningless things are being measured. But a day lived in faith, a day lived that values what God values in light of eternity is a life that brings peace and purpose and hope and joy. May we see the writing on the wall that was given to King Belshazzar. May we apply it in our lives and see this message as hope this morning. Because I think when I see something like this, it can cause me to worry. It can cause me to have fear. But that's not what the intent of this message is this morning at all. This message is a message of hope that the whole pointing, point of writing on the wall is that we don't have to repeat Belshazzar's mistake and God has a plan for our lives that can be lived out with purpose and meaning and hope and joy. We're thankful for your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.